Hey, we are kicking off a two-part like mini-series in the big series of Genesis tonight. We're going to be talking about Jacob and Esau tonight. This is part one. And next week we'll have part I mean, y'all are amazing. Y'all are absolutely amazing. Part two uh, of Jacob and Esau. We're going to talk about the bad news tonight, and we'll get to the good news next week. All right? So uh, if you have your talk sheet there, you're probably freaking out. You're looking at talk sheet, and you're like, wait a minute. There's only one point. There's two blanks to fill out on the whole thing. And you're like, this is going to be the best night ever. Steve's only going to talk... Actually, you know what? It is the best night ever because I'm only going to speak for about 15 minutes and you're going to like, what? But so I want you to hold on real tight for the next 15 minutes. All right. Can you give me 15 minutes? Let's go. Um, Can anybody attest to the reality that your family might be dysfunctional? Now, here's the thing. We live in a world where even that word of family dysfunction is almost accepted, right? It's almost like become commonplace. And in our culture and in our world today, there's always something going on, dynamics in the family that seems to be very dysfunctional. And so here's what I want us to have. I want us to play a little game. I want to play the game Family Feud. How many of you have seen Family Feud? I feel like this is a great moment for us to talk um, about Family Feud. And here's what I want to do. I want to play a game. Uh, Family Feud survey says, and here's the answer to the top five answers on the board, right? hundred people were surveyed, and these were the top five characteristics of a dysfunctional family, okay? And see if some of you might identify with some of these dysfunctions. If you think you know an answer, raise your hand. Brian, I saw yours for the very first time. What, what, is your, your, what, what is your guess here? Loud. That your family is just like boisterous, loud. I don't know if that's up there. These, oh, oh, we already X'd it. Wow. All right. Anybody else got it? Olivia, yell it real loud. Miscommunication. Survey says... Oh, number one answer. Good job, Olivia. Let's go right here. What do you got? Abusive. Okay, abusive. Survey says poor power struggles. Okay, that is true, right? I, I would agree with that. Power struggles. Anybody who's got one? Who's got one over here? Oh, you have a good one. What is it? Do what? Substance abuse, all right? That might contribute to a dysfunctional family. Survey says, nope, didn't make the top five. It might be up there. Okay, what do you got? Oh my gosh. (laughs) What do you got? Constantly fighting. I would think that would be a sign of dysfunction. Survey says, oh, unpredictable interactions. All right, we'll come on this side of the room. Too late, you lost it. You lost your chance. Too late. What about whatever here? What do you got? Crazy. Just plain crazy. All right, we got two strikes. If it's not up there, like game's over. All right, he says crazy. Survey says. Oh, three strikes. Man, y'all are no good at. Okay, what do you got, Danny? What do you got? You said crazy? 
Well, your brother said crazy. He said it first. <laughs> okay, arguing. Arguing between brothers right here. This is family right here. Between brothers right here. <laughs> All right, number two answer. What's number two answer? Comparison? Mm, would you say so? That might be dysfunction in the family. All right, uh, number four. Excessive criticism. Wow. Hey, uh, here's the thing. You can look at these characteristics of what it means to be living in a dysfunctional family, and in some regard, all of us have dysfunction in our family. All of us do. And here's what's wild about this, is that dysfunction in a family is not a new thing. It's not. It's been around for generations, generations. And so if you're sitting here maybe thinking about your little world, about your situation, maybe in your family, and you may be lamenting and going, man, my family is so dysfunctional. My family is so dysfunctional. Well, guess what? My family is dysfunctional too. And you know what? We have seen dysfunction in families in the Bible. And you're like, wait, that's supposed to be the good book, right? That's what my grandma says. Listen and read the good book, right? Well, you look into Genesis... And you see this family dysfunction all over the place. I mean, let's just think about Cain and Abel, two brothers. Murder. Well, that's dysfunction, right? Don't you think? Well, think about Noah getting drunk and exposing himself to his son. Uh, that might be dysfunction as well. We come up into a story here of Jacob and Esau in Genesis chapter 25, which is where we're going. If you have your Bible, go to it. This is where we're going tonight. Genesis chapter 25, and we're starting verse 19. I have it up on the screen if you don't, if you're not with me. But if you have your Bible, come on, open it up. Let's start digging. And here we're going to see in this, uh, we've been talking about Abraham for the past couple of weeks. Abraham, Rebecca have two sons. They're actually twins, Jacob and Esau. And at the very beginning, the very beginning, of this introduction of Jacob and Esau, we see dysfunction all throughout it. And I'm going to point it out to us as we walk through this scripture, okay? Here you go. Starting in verse 19, Genesis 25, starting in verse 19, here we go. Now these are the records of the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethel, the Armenian of Pederam, that's a good one. So you just keep on, you know, just in hard words, you just read it like you just know it, right? It just, even if you butcher it for real, you just, like you own it, right? The sister of Laban, the Armenian, the, uh, I think that's right, um, to be his wife. In other words, Isaac chose Rebekah to be his wife. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren, and the Lord answered him. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived but the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is so, why then, I, why then am I this way? So she went to inquire of the Lord, which is a good thing if you find yourself hurting, right? She's physically hurting, and she inquires to the Lord, Why is this pregnancy so hard? And this is what the Lord says. Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples will be separated from your body. And one people shall be stronger than the other, 
and the older shall serve the younger. So God told her basically the future of the two kids that were in her womb. All right? Everybody tracking with me so far? All right, verse 24. When her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. Now the first came out forth red, all over like a hairy garment. <laughs> that's, that's funny, guys. That's like, that's, that's genuinely good. Like, I don't know. I haven't been, well, I've seen birth, right? I've been around. But for a baby to come out completely hairy, that's, that's kind of unheard of, right? Usually the hair grows. I'm sorry. Um, I digress. But red all over, hairy like a garment, and they named him Esau. And afterward, his brother came forth with his hand holding Esau's feet. Esau's healed. You see that? Like coming out of the womb, he's holding on. So his name was called Jacob, and Isaac was 60 years old when she gave birth to them. Now, first off, you need to know in this story, it's not dysfunctional yet, but there, there's some, a very strong truth here that needs to be said, is that God knows the plan, and God is achieving his plan in this birth. And the plan is, is that the younger would serve, or the younger would be over the older. Two nations, and in those days, that culture, usually it was the firstborn, the firstborn was the one that was deserving of all the rights of the father. But God was saying in this moment, it's gonna be backwards. And God's calling it out. He said it at the very beginning. He told her, hey, the younger is going to serve, or the older is going to serve the younger. And you see the picture at the very beginning of the birth where Jacob is literally holding on to Esau's heel. And it is foreshadowing of what is to come. And you know what? That foreshadowing is actually happening right in front of mom and dad. Isaac and Rebecca are seeing it for the first time. Rebecca is seeing that played out and immediately from birth, she's knowing and seeing the plan of God to be achieved in her kids. Pretty wild. And so we fast forward a couple of years. We don't know if these guys are teenagers yet, but they're later on. And so it fast forwards literally from one verse to the next goes from birth to like older. All right. So 27, verse 27, when the boys grew up, there's your fast forward right there. Time machine right there. Esau Became a skillful hunter. Do we have any hunters in the room? Do we have any like people that love to stay, you know, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, hunting and fishing and loving every day. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I just, I, that was a country song. I listen to country. Uh, so became a skillful hunter, a man of the field. I love that. But Jacob was a peaceful man living in tents. So we see two different guys. Right? Two different guys, two different personalities. They're twins, but they're totally different. Okay? One loves the outdoors, one loves the indoors. One's a skillful hunter, one's a good cook. We'll see that in a minute. 28. Now, Isaac loved Esau. Ooh, there's our first picture of dysfunction. Esau loved who? Or J Isaac loved who? Esau. I gave you the way, I gave the answer away. 
because he had a taste for game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Favoritism. A picture of dysfunction, a characteristic of dysfunction right there. When Jacob had cooked the stew, Esau came in from the field and was famished. You got to be really hungry if you're going to use the word famished. And Esau said to Jacob, please let me have a swallow of the red stuff there, for I am famished. And therefore his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, whoa, 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 whoa. I'll give you something, but first sell me your birthright. So the younger brother is requesting from the older brother, hey, I want your right as being the older firstborn. So the younger brother is (laughs) power struggle. That was one of the characteristics of dysfunction, wasn't it? Power struggle. And here you see a power struggle. And Jacob is asking for the one thing that is probably the most cherished in the family, right? Is the blessing of father. And it's the blessing of father at his death that they would own everything that father owns. That's the birthright that Jacob is literally swindling out of Esau's hand in this moment over (laughs) a meal, like a bowl of what they said, red stuff, a bowl of lentil soup, whatever. It was so, I guess it was so good, it had to be good, right, that Esau just wanted it. And so Jacob was like, well, wait a minute, you know, I'm going to hold that back from you. Here it goes. And Jacob said, swear, first swear to me. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went on his way. I guess he thought that that was it. Thus Esau despised his birthright. If there is a picture of family dysfunction, welcome to the Bible. It's in there. There are no perfect families. Let's talk about that. There are no perfect families. None of us have a perfect family. Some Majority of us, if you really tracked your family tree, there's probably some family dysfunction that you have. I'm not trying to normalize it for you, but I'm helping you to understand that if you think you're alone, you're not. And most likely the people around you that you're sitting with, there's probably some dysfunction in their family too. And if we would be getting, I won't get ahead of myself. But y'all, this is, this is a reality of the, the culture we live in. And honestly, it is a reality of sin, the effects of sin that happened in the garden and is tracked down from one generation to the next. And y'all, this, this is it. We're seeing the effects. We're seeing the consequences of the sin as it relates to our families, the one thing that we cherish the most. I have this whole talk about the front row. Whenever you go to a funeral or you go to a wedding, who is sitting on the front row? Your family. Your family. Who are the most important relationships in your life? Your family. Oh, I like my friends better than I like my mom. And that may be true, but your friend is not going to be sitting on the front row. They're not. They're not. They're going to be sitting on probably third or fourth row because grandparents are going to be right behind your parents. Right? And it's going to be like aunts and uncles and cousins and then maybe a friend. The family is so important to you, whether you like it or not. What they say, 
how it happens if you, you and brother are like clashing. You don't like it. It's not like you enjoy the conflict in your family. Majority of you are in this place of either you're running emotionally from your family or you're lamenting about all the dysfunction that's in your family and you're stuck and you feel like there's nothing I can do. I hope you come back next week because I'm going to answer that question for you. Here's the one point. You ready? Two blanks. And it's going to blow your mind. God can function in the middle of your dysfunction. And if you believe that, and you believe that to be true, one, it'll change your prayer life about your family. Two, it'll change your perspective of what you think about your family and maybe the dysfunction that's going on. And three, I think it should drive you to your knees to start praying for your family and start believing that God can do what only God can do in your family. And if you've gotten to the place in your family and the thinking of your family that there is no hope, then you are choosing to believe that there isn't a God who can intervene. Do I need to say that again? Because some of y'all didn't, y'all, some of y'all are texting on your phone and stuff. Like, if you believe that your family is too far gone, then you're choosing to believe that God cannot work in your family. And so I'm here to encourage you tonight. We see a truth here. Here's the beautiful thing about this right here. Is that even in the middle of dysfunction, God's string of faithfulness and his sovereign plan is going to be achieved. That's what I love. I love reading Genesis, and I use this illustration all the time. All the verse, all the stories we've been telling, all the people we've been talking about, they've been up and down with sin. We talked about Abraham's sin last week. Like It's up and down with their sin and their lives, and one time they're good with God, and the next thing they were up and down. And, but here's the thing about every one of those things. You see thread of God's plan and God's faithfulness all the way through it. All the way through it. And even in this moment, and even in your moment, even in your family, where you think, my family is so far down. If only you would trust the Lord and his divine plan as it would stay consistent. And what would it look like for you to turn your heart toward God and not turn your heart toward that dysfunction? That's a big major perspective shift that I really want to encourage you with. Your family is not too far gone. And if you think your dysfunction is too big, then you're discounting a big God who can do a lot of things. And so I want to challenge you to no end right now. I want to come alongside you as lovingly as I possibly can and just simply, do you believe in God? And Do you believe God can do it? Do you believe God can heal your family? It may not be tomorrow. It probably won't be. But who's to say next year it may not be different? Who's to say in three years it may not be different? Who's to say in 10 years it may not be different? And here's the thing I know. I'm working in student ministry for a long time, and I've been working with families for a long time, and I've been working with students who are struggling with the dysfunction for a long time. And here's what I know. It's a season. The season of dysfunction that you're in, it's a season. If only you would persevere. 
if only you would stick to it. And if only you would believe that God can blank. The blessing on the other side of it. You know what? We're going to learn over the next couple of weeks from Jacob and Esau, even in your daily reading, even in your life group class here, you're going to see this moment where Jacob surrenders his heart to the Lord. That's this coming Sunday. It's amazing what God does in Jacob and Esau's life. And I cannot wait to share with you next week.